Welcome to On Course, the teaching ministry of Pastor Hart Ramsey. And the wisdom of God transcends, it lifts you over. Where we offer simple biblical insight into some of life's most pressing issues. Love is a manifestation of strength. The Holy Spirit produces nothing but strength in us. I want to show you. Prepare for the next few minutes to be encouraged, enlightened, and inspired. Let's join Pastor Ramsey and get on course. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. The Bible says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused the death to rule over many. One of the hardest things for us to believe is that it's possible for Jesus to, or for God to count us righteous because of what Jesus has done. It's the most difficult thing for believers to understand. So we have to say to you over and over again, the belief system is like a safe with a very lengthy and complicated combination. And the reason God did that, he designed us on purpose with a belief system that's hard to change. And the reason for that is so that we won't be thrown or tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Um, he wants to make sure that once you lock into a belief, you can stay there and be settled on it. Okay? So, so the way you change our belief system is through repetitious information. Now, here, I want you to pay attention to this. You can change your belief system one of four ways, either through repetitious information, through your environment, through experience, or through the voice of a significant other. But I want to point out some things that's very interesting about these four things. Number one, the repetitious information doesn't have to be true. You can hear the same thing over and over again until it gets into your belief system. You don't even challenge it, but there's no truth to it whatsoever. And a good case in point is you look, if you just look at our elections. Now, you have to understand something about me. I spent, how many of you know I spent 11 years in the military? Well, okay, let me back up. I'm going to tell you, I spent 11 years in the military because asking you ain't going to do no good. I did. And a part of my 11 years in the military, I worked with security clearances. Okay? So clearances work on certain levels. You, you have a confidential level. First of all, the, the confid- you need to have a confidential level to even get in the military because there's some things you're going to learn that you have to have, you have to be, they have to have confidence in you. It's a confidential level. After that is what we, what's called a simple secret clearance to work with secret documents. Then there you get into top secret level, and in top secret level, I believe, I'm not sure, but there are eight levels of top secret. Okay? Now, Here's where people play games. I'm not, I'm not advocating for any candidate. To me, we are this year dealing with the lesser of two evils. But, I want, but there's something that keeps aggravating me every time I see it. And I got to say something about it before I get into the lesson tonight. I want to talk to you about your belief system. You meet people who are convinced of certain things about one candidate or the other with no facts. This is the, this is the most factless election I've ever seen. Now, the, the, the big issue, and, and I want to use this example to show you something about your belief system, as I want to use the example about Hillary Clinton's emails. I'm going to tell you something that you've totally overlooked. Have you ever noticed that when they come up, she just smiles and doesn't say very much? You know why? She can't. And the people asking her the questions knows that she cannot answer them. It is against, it is against national security. She cannot do it. When I was working in the military, there, people would ask me questions on certain topics. I couldn't answer them. If I wanted to, anything I said about the subject matter would put me in trouble and them in jeopardy. 
You understand what I'm saying? So when you see, well, why does she answer? She doesn't answer because she cannot. And, and whether or not, and I don't care how you vote, you need to vote. I don't care how you vote, but don't be tricked with this foolishness. Because this, this whole thing is about deception. It's about getting you to think something. Well, if, 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 well what should you say something? Why should you just explain it? Because you don't have a clearance to know it. The, the thing about a clearance in the military is on a need-to-know basis. It's on a what? How many of you know everybody don't need to know? Everybody may want to know, but everybody don't need to know. Now, this is, I'm going to tell you why this is critical. It's critical because even God protects us from knowing stuff before we're supposed to know it. Now, let me show you this. It's important. When, when it comes to uh, what's locked into our belief system is this. Many people grew up in church thinking that you're not counted righteous unless you do righteousness. When you go to the book of James, the book of James mentions two people. And it says this. It said, Abraham, it said, even Abraham was not counted righteous until he had done something. And it, it pointed to the fact that he offered his son Isaac when God told him to. And then it used, um, 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 what's her name? Uh, Jericho, what's, what's the, the uh, prostitute's name? Rahab. I don't know why it slipped me tonight. Use Rahab as an example. But I want to, I want, I've taught you this before, but I want to revisit something to show you. Whenever, whenever the Bible talks about these two, only two examples James used of people whose, whose acts of righteousness, whose obedience, whose doing cause them to be called righteous, I want, you, I want you to know something about them right now. Number one, when Abraham offered Isaac, he had been walking with God for so many years. I'm doing the math. 13, uh, um, um, Ishmael was 13 years old when God came back to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son. Okay? 13 years old. Then uh, I think a year after that, Isaac was born. By the time Abraham is offering Isaac, he has to be maybe 21. He wasn't a boy. He was a young man. So let's just, let's eat it off and say it was 30 years. 30 years after God declared Abraham righteous. He did a righteous act. But he was righteous up to that point, doing all kinds of craziness. Said his, said his wife was his sister twice. You got it? He, he was a part of, of this plan. To, they concocted a plan to have a child. I mean, it wasn't illegal by God's standard. A, a concubine in those days was called a secondary wife. But the point I'm trying to show you is God called him righteous long before he did anything notable as righteous. Rahab. By the time Israel, now this is what you need, you need to understand. When Rahab made reference to the fact that, that the God of the, of the Jews, or the Israelites, had destroyed Pharaoh in the Red Sea. But look at the math. By the time they made it to Jericho, it was 40 years later. So Rahab had learned about God 40 years before. So she had been walking with God in her heart basically for 40 years. From the time she heard him, she believed in the Lord. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. So if Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteousness, can we also say that Rahab believed God and God counted to her as righteousness? God is a fair God, right? So, so I want you to see the math, 30 years for one and 40 years for the next before the Bible even talked about anything measurable that they did to be counted righteous. I'm not, in, I'm not uh, uh, tonight at all uh, trying to promote unrighteousness, unrighteous behavior. What I'm trying to say is if we don't get the first part right, the back part will never come. 
If we don't believe that through the finished work of Jesus Christ we are righteous, we'll never become people who systematically and consistently do righteous things. I have to be righteous. I have to be counted righteous before I could do righteously. Sinners sin because they're sinners. They're not sinners because they sin. Let us sink in for a minute. Sinners sin because they're sinners. Liars lie because they're liars. They're not liars because they lie. You're looking like, you're doing math in your head, you do it like you carry the one and bring the three. It's like math, isn't it? Here's the rule. Righteous people do righteous things because they're righteous. They're not righteous. How many of you getting this? Okay, now, for this one, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. How many of you see right here that righteousness is a gift? Say out loud, say righteousness is a gift that God gives to me through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, so it says, and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Understand that condemnation is the end game of judgment. It it, it is the product of the sentencing phase of the trial. I'm condemned after I'm found guilty. So the Bible says Adam's one sin thoroughly judges us to the point of condemnation to death, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Notice now, it's not because of your behavior, it's because of what Jesus did. Here's what you're going to find. Everybody look at me, I want to help you. In order for God to get glory out of your life, he has to deliver you from self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness, by nature, does not allow people to continue to live their lives after they failed. Because in, in, in the mind of a self-righteous person, after a person has failed, what should come is condemnation. You got it? And what they're basing it on is, I am, live, I am righteous in myself. I do righteousness, and everybody else should do it too. You got it? The truth of the matter is, is that I don't, I've never met a self-righteous person. There's none in scripture that do right. No. What they're doing is, they judge themselves by their intent, but they judge you by your actions. They judge themselves by what they intended to do, but they judge you by what you've done. But if you go back and do background searches, background checks on the self-righteous, you'll find that they're some of the most wicked, conniving, sneaky, and and divisive, and and secretive people. Because if you're going to be self-righteous, when you fail, number one, you have to develop a callousness in your belief system where you can't admit it. Number two, if you do admit, admit and notice you're wrong, you have to find a way to cover it up because you can't have the other folk on the same level with you. And so here's what Jesus said. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can in no wise enter the kingdom. What does he mean? He means that your right, the brand of righteousness that you have can't be the kind that you work for. It has to be the kind that's been given to you as a gift. 
The Bible says, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Now, verse 19 is where I'm headed. It says, because one person disobeyed God. The word, we, we define the word obey as trusting God's understanding of my situation. And I want to uh, insert the definition here at the outset. Because one person did not trust God's understanding of their situation, many were affected. Many became sinners. But because one other person trusted God's understanding of the situation, many will be made what? Righteous. And the reason he used the, the, um, the uh, future tense is this, is that we became sinners through Adam by birth. But we become righteous through Christ by new birth. All you need to do to be considered a sinner is to be born. All you need to do to be considered righteous is to be born again. That's so what Lady Gaga says, I was born this way. She's right. We all were born that way with some type of defect. But the thing is, the answer to that is, we have, you, you marvel not that you must be born again. That's why we must be born again. We, we're born into what Christ has done. This is not in my notes, but put 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 on the screen for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And I don't know why I'm in this grace thing tonight, but I need to stay here for a minute. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, for, everybody read this out loud with me. Ready? Read. For God made Christ... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, give me King James, the same verse. I want, I want you to read the King James also out loud. Ready? Let's read out loud. For God made him to be... Okay, let's start again. Ready? Together. For he made him... Uh-huh. It's me. Who knew no sin that he might be... Now, I want to show you this. This is, this is so important to get this. Notice, he hath made him to be sin. He hath made him to be sin. He had made him to be what? Sin. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever sin? So how could God make him to be sin? He, that he might be made, the right, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now flip back to New Living Translation. So God made him to be sin so that he could make us to be righteous. But here's the key thing. I want to show you something. God made him to be sin, but he never sinned. The same principle works. God makes you to be righteous before you do one thing right. And here's the thing that you need to understand, saints. Until you accept this as truth, unless this gets into your belief system, you'll never consistently be able to do right. Stay tuned for more of today's teaching with Pastor Hart Ramsey. Have you subscribed to Heart Ramsey's Uplift? It's his national text message service where daily you get to hear from the heart of God through the man of God, Heart Ramsey. To subscribe, simply text the word Uplift to the number 46786. Once again, text the word Uplift to the number 46786. And daily you'll receive a text message designed to uplift your spirit, encourage your heart, and empower your walk. Subscribe today to Heart Ramsey's Uplift. Amen. Imagine being filled with a peace so deep that the world around you can't touch it. Pastor Hart Ramsey is on a mission to help believers understand what it means to have a healthy, prayer-based relationship with God. He's doing that through his brand new book titled Seeking Answers, Finding Rest Through Prayer. 
prayer at first was a struggle because you know it, it really takes faith to pray you have to you have to trust that God is like a person he's a real person and that he's the one that invented the concept of prayer in this book you'll learn how to ensure your relationship with God is based on a new and improved covenant which dangerous prayer habits to avoid and what to do when prayer doesn't yield the answers you want it's time to trust God enough to make your prayer life truly about him yes. pick up your copy of Seeking Answers, Finding Rest Through Prayer from Hart Ramsey, available now at Amazon, iTunes, and wherever books are sold. Now let's get back to today's teaching with Pastor Hart Ramsey. That's the power to do right, right there. Matter of fact, if you study the book of Romans, I believe it's in Romans chapter 6, here's what it teaches us. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that righteousness, receiving the righteousness of God, leads to holiness. You got it? Everyone believes in, I believe holiness is right. Every denomination teaches that holiness is right. But what we disagree on is how we get there. We don't get to holiness by performance. We get to holiness by accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. Listen, it makes us, in right, it puts us in right relationship with God. Then he empowers us to live holy. You got it? Now, there's so much I want to say tonight, and, and that was the, the, the beginning of this of this understanding of what it means, what it means to obey the Lord. Under the law, obedience was the work a person did to earn God's blessing. Under grace, obedience is trusting God's understanding of your situation. It's the action that gives, uh, that gives life to my faith. Um, I said in previous weeks that when Jesus came to the earth, he wasn't born knowing what he was supposed to do. How many of you remember me saying that? In other words, when Jesus was a little boy, he, he, it wasn't like he was walking around like the, with this knowledge, like, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm God, but they don't know it. It, it wasn't like that. There are lost books of the Bible. You ever heard about the lost books of the Bible? And in some of them, there's one story in one of the lost books of the Bible. They're lost for a reason. Um, at, at, that Jesus, as a little boy, um, did something with some birds. Remember the story about the birds? He brought some birds back to life. That's not true. Jesus was 30 years old when he did his first miracle. He was 30 because he went through a process of learning. Matter of fact, put on the screen for me, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 5. I want to show you something. Um, in, in, the, in Psalm chapter 40, there's a messianic psalm, it's a prophetic psalm that talked about, uh, um, Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book I've come to do your will. And when you read that in context, you, you can't tell it's talking about Jesus. It sounds like David is talking. But in Hebrews chapter 10, here's what it says. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God. Okay, now, I want you to hold that right there because we're coming back. Go to Psalm chapter 40, and I want you to put, I think it's verse, put verse 6 on the screen for me. Psalm 40 and verse 6, because I want the saints to see this. Give me King James, Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, King James. Sacrifice an offering thou did not require or desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So when you read that in Psalm 40, you say, well, who's talking? What is he talking about? So now we flip forward to Hebrews 10, verse 5, and it shows you exactly not just what we were talking about, but who was talking. It says, that is why... When Christ came into the world, he said to God, 
You did not want animal sacrifices or, or sin offerings. But you have given me a body. Why? The, why was he given the body? The only reason Jesus received the body was to offer it as a sacrifice. Now look at this. Look at verse 6. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Verse 7. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the what? So here's what happened to him. No doubt Mary, his mother, the Bible says she kept all those things in the heart that the angel said. When he got to a certain age, she started telling him, Joseph is not really your dad. He's your surrogate dad. Jesus is probably like, what do you mean by it? Well, sit down. See, in the, you see right here in the Torah, it talks about Messiah. Well, an angel appeared to me and she lays the story out for him. No kid is going to go, really? He probably said and looked at her like she had lost her mind. But he, he noticed something. When they went to Jerusalem to the feast, he was always drawn to the people who were discussing and discovering scripture. One year when he was 12 years old, when they went to Jerusalem, they were looking for him and they couldn't find him. They thought he was with the, with the family, so they all head, started heading back when they realized he wasn't with them. When they went back, the Bible says he was sitting down with the scholars baffling them with revelation from scripture. And the Bible says, that's what the Bible says. When his mother said, why would you do it to us? Here's what he said. He said, wist ye not that I must be, in other words, don't you know that I'm, I'm about my father's business? At 12 years old, we know that he knew he was Messiah at 12 years old. Now, get this. He didn't know it all along. He had to learn as he went. He had to do what? You, the way we learn to trust God's understanding of our situation is that we have to be put in situations that require trust. And one of the greatest, here's what you need to know about trust. Trust always happens when there's no visibility. If you can see, you don't need trust. So my question to you tonight is, what is God calling upon you to trust him with? What situation are you in right now that you have to trust God? Because the reality is this, is that many times, if we don't trust God in our situation, if we go and try to make it happen for ourselves, we may, we may finagle. But God is going to make sure we circle around again to this very incident or something just like it, some situation just like it, because we have to learn to trust him in that situation on that level. I'm speaking to somebody. Sometimes what we call security or safety is nothing but fear. The only reason you're in that situation is because you're afraid to do anything else. I'm just being smart. No, you're being scared. If you told the truth, if you had any amount of boldness, and if you trust God the way you were supposed to, you would not be in the situation you're in. And I'm going to tell you something I learned about people. Boy, I'm, 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 I'm walking all kinds of grounds tonight. People who are terrified to trust God will always tell you that trusting God in a situation is irrational. So everyone in the crowd can see Jesus coming but one man. And when he heard that the Lord was coming, he lifted up his voice, the Bible says, and says, Jesus, son of Nazareth, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Get this, get this. Everyone in the crowd told him to be quiet. You know why? Because quiet is safe. 
But I'm going to tell you how the story, you know how the story played out with Blind Bartimaeus, right? It was, it was when the Bible says when Jesus heard him, he said, the Lord said, bring him to me. And when the Lord sent for him, the thing that amazes me is when the Lord sent for him, he took off his government issue garment. He wore a certain coat that, that in, in Jerusalem at the time designated him as a legitimate beggar. When the Lord called him, he knew he took it off and he, he took it off and he went to the Lord without his garment. You know what it says? I'll never beg again. And, 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 no, and he went to, and when the Lord saw him do that, when he came to the Lord, the Lord said, you have great faith. The Lord gave me, what do you want from me? The Lord asked. He said, I want to see. And he left seeing. You know why? Because here's the reality. Because quiet is safe, but sometimes you have to step out of that comfort zone and just trust God. You say, well, well if God didn't want to be here, you wouldn't have put me here. No, sometimes you're in a situation because God wants to teach you how to trust him. As a pastor, one of the things that I had to, to learn to discern real quickly, and over, I'm gonna, matter of fact, I'm going to let you know this is going to help you. When I first started pastoring, one of the scariest things was to be placed in a life or death situation where people would come to me and say, Pastor, we have been diagnosed with cancer. Um, they say I have months to live. Can you pray? I used to be so terrified of that when I first started pastoring. And so you know what God did? In 1986, when I accepted my first pastor in December, I immediately came on a spiritual attack, spent two weeks in the hospital in, in the first month of 1987 in, in uh, Germany. I was in Bad Kreuznach, Germany. Came out of the hospital, um, started teaching the word. Church, when I, came, when I took the church, we had 12 families, 20 members. Now this church is growing. All I'm doing as a 25-year-old, I'm just preaching the word, preaching the word. Church is starting to grow. Now, People start getting sick. And when the Lord saw that there was a fear in me of dealing with life or death situations, immediately I was thrust into a situation that I've told you about many times, where we had a member of the church to die. The one way to eradicate some fear is to have you face the thing you fear. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to give you the whole story tonight. When, When I saw God raise this woman from the dead, I never feared death again. Never... Listen, here's what I understand. I understand that in every situation, my responsibility is to trust God. The outcome is up to him. There's something I do know. Here's what I do know. There's nothing too hard for God. Nothing is too hard. There's nothing. Write this down somewhere. Just say that loud. Say, with God, there are no hard cases. No, this is the same with God all the way around. Now, I want to show you this. Jesus Jesus said um, he found himself written in the book. That's how he learned to obey. It was written of him in the volume of the book, and he, and he actually just did what he saw of himself in the book. So what I want to share with you for the rest of this evening is I want to show you this, this, this part of Scripture, uh, obeying the truth. Everybody say obeying the truth. Obey. Now, put John chapter 17, verse 17 on the screen. The tr- Everybody say the truth. You know, some people, say, have you heard the term his truth or her truth? What does that mean? You ever have somebody say, just, you know, come on, live in your truth. What does that mean? So can we, can we just each have a truth? Is that what it is? We live in a day where truth is considered to be anything but absolute. Which means, here's what it means. It means that, that you could take 
what is written or what, what, what is said by the Lord and, and kind of frame it to fit your situation. But, the, but that's not the, the if, you, if we do, if truth is movable, we're in trouble. And then we have to have fact checkers. You get it? Just to see. Now, this is important. John chapter 17, verse 17. I want to show you this because the Bible says that we are responsible to, to, to obey the truth. And if you take the definition, trusting God's understanding of your situation for the word obey, then what does it mean to obey the truth? For, for first, let's figure out what truth is. In John chapter 17 and verse 17. John chapter 17, there you go. Now, all right. Give me King James because it's simply straight to the point. Everybody read this out loud. What does it say? Uh-huh. One more time out loud. What does it say? Sanctify them. Uh-huh. So based on this scripture, what is truth? The word of, everybody say the word of God. Now, so understand what the, who has a Bible? Give me the Bible. I want to show you something. Okay. Everything that God has said, there's no way we could write down everything God said. So when you see a Bible, here's what I want you to think. This is, this is the, the definition of the word truth in the Greek. It means the reality that lies at the base of the appearance. The reality that lies at the base of the appearance. Um, the reality behind the appearance. Got it? That's what truth is. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching courtesy of On Course with Hart Ramsey. We invite you to join the NCC family for our weekly services in Dothan and Montgomery, Alabama, and Atlanta, Georgia. For service times and locations, visit our website, nccfamily.org. Again, nccfamily.org. We invite you to follow Pastor Hart Ramsey on social media, on Twitter, at Hart Ramsey, on Facebook, at Hart Ramsey Media, and on Instagram, at Pastor Hart Ramsey. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to dive into God's Word as we get on course with Hart Ramsey.